Take your Bibles, please, and turn to the book of Jonah. Jonah chapter 3. This past week, we were privileged to have our grandboys with us, two of the three. J.C., who will be in the sixth grade. Jonas, who will be in the fifth grade. We're in the car traveling, and J.C. says to me, G-Daddy. That's what he calls me. G-Daddy and Mimi. G-Daddy, you're smarter than Einstein. I perk up. I say, J.C., tell me more. He says, well, when Einstein spoke, it said that there were only 12 people in the world who understood him. And when you speak, nobody understands you. (laughs) As we look into the Word of God, we want to understand what God has to say to us. We want to be able to take it and apply it to our hearts and live it out through our lives for His honor and for his glory. We preachers sometimes struggle because in our communication, we recognize that everybody has a different set of ears and hears different things from their own perspective. I want you to know it's not about what I say or how I try to apply God's word. It's it's all about what God has to say to our hearts. But I will tell you this. If for some reason I make an application that you do not think is appropriate to Scripture, talk to me, will you please? I only know what I know. If for some reason the Scripture does not seem to be clear, we need to make sure that it is clear and presented in a way that God's Word is that lamp unto our feet and light unto our path. It's all about and only about what God wants to do in our lives. It's his word. The truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help us, God. As we have looked at Jonah, we have discovered that the word of the Lord came to Jonah saying, And most of us understand that Jonah ran from what God instructed him to do. Jonah knew exactly what God was calling upon him to do and the assignment that God had given to him, and he took off. We now fast forward past the tempest. We fast forward across past the great fish. We fast forward now into chapter 3 where the word of the Lord comes again to Jonah. Understanding that God's assignment for Jonah had not changed. May I stop right here and help us be reminded that God's assignment for us does not change? We are to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. That's God's assignment. 
And living out that assignment is what we struggle with. Now last week we began to look into chapter 3. And we looked at the city of Nineveh. Because chapter 3 is all about Nineveh. Nineveh was a great city. It was a city that God wanted to reach for his honor and his glory. And it was a great city to God. Aren't you thankful that God is concerned about the whole world? Aren't you thankful that God sent his son to die for the whole world? Aren't you thankful that God loved the whole world? And that included Nineveh. We could go back to chapter 1 and we could find out why God gave the assignment to Jonah. And it was because Nineveh had great evil and that evil had come up against God. But the reality is that this city, Nineveh, was a great city to God. And in the midst of that, Jonah goes into this great city and warns them of immediate peril. In 40 days, Nineveh would be overcome. Nineveh, this great city, would be overthrown. Now, Jonah doesn't tell us how it's going to happen. Jonah doesn't tell us who God's going to use to make it happen. Jonah simply says that it will happen. And that message reached the people. It was noticed by the people. It was noticed by the king. And I want you to rejoice with me at the response. The people believed God. I think that's incredible. It doesn't say that the people believed Jonah. Jonah was only the instrument of God. And frankly, as you and I go into all the world with the message of God, if people only believe us and never just get turned to God, they'll never understand that it's God's message to them. You and I cannot manipulate people and their relationship with God. It's all about people believing God. Do you believe God this morning? Do you believe God's word this morning? All scripture is given by inspiration of God, profitable for what? Doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness, right? It's profitable for what's right. It's profitable for what's not right. It's profitable in telling us how to get right. And it's profitable in helping us understand how to stay right before God. We need to believe God. This morning in our CBC 101 class, I asked this question. What's wrong with this statement? God said it. I believe it. That settles it. What's wrong with that statement is, if God said it, that settles it. Whether or not you and I believe it. The people believed God. And that transformed their lives. Because now God enters Nineveh. And we understand that as God entered, the people repented and God relented. Isn't that cool? Read that with me, will you please? When the people repented, God relented. 
Aren't you thankful if we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness? Isn't that neat? Isn't it wonderful when we turn toward God, we discover the wonder of God working in our lives? Aren't you thankful that God is the God of the second chance? Boy, I need that in my life. There have been so many times that I have failed God. And yet God is the God of a second chance. And when the people repented, God relented. And it's still true today. Because I do not deserve his grace. I do not deserve his mercy. I do not deserve his love. But God entered Nineveh. And it made a difference in their lives. Pat Markle, in his commentary on Jonah, said this, Jonah's preaching put a torch in the very fabric of Ninevite society. Once ignited, the flames swept all before it, engulfing every social group, from the greatest to the least. They were to reach to the palace itself. Why? Because the people believed God and repented of their sin. We now move into chapter 4. Are you there? Jonah chapter 4. And we are going to discover what's going on in Jonah's life in chapter 4. The end of chapter 3 says, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did it not. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Did you read that? But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. We are going to discover that as the people repented and God turned away from the destruction that was supposed to come upon Nineveh, it affected Jonah's heart, it affected Jonah's health, Jonah became headstrong in his hardness and unhinged in his emotions. Now let's look at this together, will you please? Verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. Now that word appears twice in chapter 4. It appears here in verse 1, and it appears over in verse 6. And these are diametrically opposed emotions. In verse 1 it says, Jonah was exceedingly displeased. And in in verse 6 it says, Jonah was exceedingly glad. The word exceedingly has the idea of beyond bounds. Here in verse 1, it's not that Jonah was just a little disappointed. It's not that Jonah was just a bit discouraged. It's not that Jonah was down in the dumps because he preached a message of impairment. impending doom, and now all of a sudden God relents, and Jonah says, what's up with that? Jonah was displeased exceedingly, 
He was red hot mad about the whole deal. He was out of control, upset. He was beyond the bounds of being angry with God. And if we don't get that well enough, it tells us that he was angry with God. I think it interesting that Jonah recognizes that it's his problem, not God's. And so we find this prophet, this reluctantly obedient prophet, but obedient prophet, who is now so upset that he can't stand it. And verse 2 says, and he prayed to the Lord, and we have that prayer. And he starts out, O Lord. He recognizes that if he is going to come into contact with God, he needs to pray. May I remind you that this is the second time in this short book that Jonah's prayed? The first time he prayed, you remember that? He was in the belly of the fish, right? And it was there where he prayed out of distress. You ever pray out of distress or fear? Things are out of your control and you're not sure what's going to happen. And so, so you pray. that's a legitimate prayer. This time, Jonah prays out of anger. You ever pray out of anger? Ouch. Jonah did. And he expresses himself before God. <laughs> Somebody said, you might as well say it. God's heard it anyway. And Jonah, who is exceedingly displeased and anger, prays. May I tell you that when you're upset, the best place to go is God? May I remind you that when you're struggling, the best place to go is God? (laughs) Usually we go and take it out on the people we love. That's the good news. The best place to go is God. And what does he pray? He says, oh, Lord. Now, I want to just very quickly remind you that Jonah is praying to Jehovah God. Anytime in your Bibles that you find the word Lord in all capitals, it's Jehovah God. And he is indeed the eternal God, the self-existent God. He is the one who is the covenant-keeping God, the unchanging God. I want you to know that Jonah went to the right place. He went to Jehovah, the one who would keep his word, the one who is self-existent, the one who did not change, the one who is eternal, the one who is consistent in all things. And what does he pray? He says, O Lord, 
Is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew. Will you underline those two words in your Bibles, please? I knew. Jonah had a relationship with God, and that's why God called him to go to Nineveh in the first place. And we don't have a lot of background about Jonah, but we do understand from this passage of Scripture that Jonah was somewhat mature in his relationship with God. And Jonah says, God, I knew some things about you. And what did I know about you, God? I knew that you were gracious. Isn't it good to know that God is gracious? Grace is God giving to us what we do not deserve. For by grace are we saved through faith, and that not of ourselves, it is a gift of God. For the grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared to all men. I knew, God, you were a gracious God. Now, I think it's interesting in this whole thing that Jonah didn't start his say, but Lord, they sure deserve to get condemned. Lord, they were evil people. What happened? But, but Lord, you said that their violence had come up against you. Why didn't you deal with it? But, but Jonah doesn't do it. He, said, he says, God, I knew you were gracious. Jonah had experienced God's grace. He'd experienced it as recently as chapter 2 when he was in the belly of the fish, right? Not only does he said, I knew you were gracious, but I knew you were merciful. Now, grace and mercy are two different things. Mercy is God not giving to us what we do deserve. The Bible says it's because of the Lord's mercy we're not consumed. Great is his faithfulness. And so many times I violate God's standard and deserve to be under immediate punishment from God. And yet God is merciful. Aren't you thankful for that this morning? And God, you're slow to anger. You have a short fuse I know some people who have short fuses <laughs> you just kind of touch it and it's boom and I know some people that would rather blow up and get it gone than work through it because they think by by blowing up it's done and I don't have to do anything else about it Aren't you thankful that God is slow to anger? Think about that this morning. One of God's qualities is his patience in our lives. And what else? It's not only slow to anger, but he abounds instead fast love. I am so thankful that my wife loves me in spite of me. Yeah, thank you, Terry. 
I'm so thankful that God loves me in spite of me. I am so thankful that God abounds. That's over the top. In steadfast love. Love that is consistent. Love that is enduring. Love that can be dependent upon. Love. And what is love? We could go to 1 Corinthians 13 and discover what it is. But love is having the other person's best interest at heart. God has our interests at heart. And the scripture says he loved us with an everlasting love. Amen? There's a question that's asked in the word of God. It's asked in Romans chapter 8, and it simply says this. What shall separate us from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus our Lord? Now you can read the rest of Romans and you can find out all of the things that that Paul enunciates there. But the bottom line is nothing. There is not one thing on heaven and earth or underneath the earth that will separate us from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus our Lord. He who spared not his own son, shall he not freely with him give us all things that's god's love if god loved you if god loved me enough to give us his son send him to the cross greater love has no man than this and god abounds instead fastly oh that these qualities would be part of our lives grace and mercy that we would understand being slow to anger and steadfast love. Now, here's a question. Go back, Kathy. We were there. If Jonah had experienced this kind of God in his life, why would he not want others to experience the same kind of God? Interesting question, isn't it? If Jonas knew this kind of God, who was gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast Why wouldn't he want others to know that thing? Same kind of God. Before we get too upset with Jonah, may I take you to two other passages of Scripture? One is found in Matthew chapter 7. Turn there. Matthew chapter 7. It's Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 1. Let me read it. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck? that is in your brother's eye, but do not see the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when there isn't a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Whoa! What do you mean, Jesus? He's simply saying this. We are 
prone to get so upset with other people because of the stuff in their lives. Little minute stuff in their lives that many times we overlook the huge obstacles in our lives that keep us from being the kind of people you want us to be. Let me tell you, it's real easy for me to help somebody else handle their problems without trying to take care of my own problems. You know anybody who's real good at giving advice? Solving everybody else's issues. We tend to do that, don't we? Let me just give you four principles very quickly. Principle number one, every issue in our lives is designed to help us glorify God. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Every issue in our lives is designed to help us glorify God. Number two, get the log out of your own eye. Before you deal with somebody else's issues, examine your own life and say, Lord, what do you want me to learn about you through this? Number three, go. It's always your turn. I'll just simply remind you that in Matthew chapter 18, it says, if you have ought against a brother, you are to go to them. If they don't hear you or if they blow you off or if for some reason... You aren't able to connect on it. You take a brother with you and you go. And if that doesn't work, you take it to the church. You go. I'll also remind you that in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said this. If you're worshiping at the altar and you remember that your brother has ought against you, leave your gift at the altar and go and settle it. You see, it's always your turn. It's always my turn to go. And lastly, gently restore. Gently restore. Galatians chapter 6 says, You who are spiritual, restore such a one. And it has the analogy of setting a broken bone let me tell you, when I break something, I'm hurting enough. I don't need somebody to jerk it back into place. I need somebody to gently help me get it back into place. The other verse that's up there is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. May I quote that for you? It says this, And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, Forgiving for one another. Now here's the kicker. Even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Kind, tenderhearted, forgiving. Why? Because God forgave you a whole lot in your life. Don't hold it against somebody else. And when we recognize how often God forgives us, it's easier to understand how we need to forgive others in their lives. Back to Jonah chapter 4, please. 
as Jonah is voicing his concerns. Because God relented of the disaster even after Jonah had preached impending doom for 40 days. He's forgotten what the prophet Ezekiel has to say in Ezekiel 33. There we read this and it's on the slide. Say to them, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live, turn, turn from your evil way. That's, that's God's position. 1 Peter tells us, 2 Peter tells us, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Jonah now has an exchange with God. Verse 3, Jonah chapter 4. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Did you notice this exchange here? Here's God and here's Jonah, all right? Here's God and here's Jonah. Jonah's upset. He's exceedingly displeased. He's angry with God. And God says to Jonah, do you well to be angry? And Jonah says, you bet your boots I do, God. That's right. I do. And what did Jonah do? How did he respond? He went out. He went to the east of the city. And there he started to pout. He made a booth so he'd have a little shade. And he says, I'm just going to sit here and see what God's going to do. God's going to understand that he was wrong and I was right. And that city's going to get it eventually. You know what I have discovered? I have discovered that when I think I'm right and that God's wrong, God's right. Of course, I discovered that with my wife, too. When I think she's wrong and I'm right, I've discovered that she's right. Now, the conversation's not done yet. Verse 6. Now, the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. Did you see what happened here? God appointed a plant to shade Jonah. He was exceedingly glad. You remember what we said about the word exceedingly? This is over the top, happy. This is, <laughs> I mean, you can't explain this. Jonah is so pleased that now he has shade and he's comfortable. You ever walk into the house with air conditioning after coming in from this hot, humid Michigan, sultry weather. And you go, ah, that's Jonah. 
think it's so cool. But God's not done here. Verse 7, but when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm. (laughs) Did you notice that? God made a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on his head of Jonah, and he was faint. And he asked that he might die. He said, it's better for me to die than to live. (laughs) God appointed a plant. Saved Jonah from his discomfort. Jonah's exceedingly glad. God appointed a worm. Jonah was faint, better to die. And then verse 9 is an interesting question from God again. Jonah, do you do well to be angry with the plant? (laughs) And what does Jonah say? You bet your boots, God. I deserve to be angry with that plant. Yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. Have you noticed the emotional swings in Jonah's life? I mean, he is from one side to the other. How in the world do you figure this guy out? We could make a lot of application there, couldn't we? Angry enough to die. Verse 10. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into the which came into being in the night and perished in the night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there is, which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, also much cattle. God said, Jonah, you pity the plant. You want to die because a plant died. Shouldn't I pity a great city? A city of perhaps 600,000 people, 120,000 children. Shouldn't I pity them? And what do you read next? Nothing. Jonah is silent. Wow. You'd at least think he'd have a response, wouldn't you? He doesn't confess. He doesn't repent. He doesn't relent. He doesn't say, God, you were right. Silence. And we see Jonah's hardened heart in the deafening silence before God. Wow. That's sad. It's sad. (sighs) 
Jonah still hasn't learned his lesson, has he? As I read that, I ask myself, how long does it take for me to learn a lesson? I mean, there are things in my life that I don't particularly appreciate. But do I let those things drive me where I miss the blessing of God in my life? There are things in my life that are kind of hard to deal with. Do I let those things overshadow my life where I miss the blessing of God? Do I continue to pout <laughs> about what I don't think is fair? Wow. Let me very quickly give you some lessons. Lesson number one. More lessons from Jonah. God's will is the salvation of all peoples. Amen? Even Ninevites. Even people whose evil comes up before God. For God so loved the world. And that included Nineveh. There is no one beyond God's grace and mercy. It's our responsibility to carry the message of God's love, God's grace, God's patience, God's mercy. You're my job. We know it. We've experienced it. We can sit here this morning and say, God, I know who you are. I understand your character. This is it. And you and I must carry that message to Ninevites, to our culture, to people who haven't experienced it yet. Following God's will will direct us to some, sometimes in spite of us, incredible outcomes. Remember what happened in Nineveh? The people believed God. People will never believe God unless they know God. And in spite of you and in spite of me, we can see some incredible outcomes as we take this message to a lost and dying world. But if we're not careful, we can follow God's will without a whole heart. That is a bad attitude. And still find disappointment when he does some incredible things. <laughs> it's all about attitude, isn't it? And lastly, no matter what, the outcome belongs to God. All he asks is that you and I are faithful. That's it. That's it. Moreover, is it required of stewards that a man be found faithful? And one day, you and I are going to have to stand before God, and we are going to have to give an account as to how faithful we've been. We are not going to have to give an account for results. We just have to give an account for our faithfulness. And the outcome, no matter what that is, belongs to God.